All right. Well, I uh, want to welcome you all to church and um, especially uh, some f- old friends and uh, new friends and family who are here. And we want to uh, welcome you. And, you know, if you have any questions about church or want to get more involved and attend our church or whatever it is, we have a, um, a time after you can meet with one of our pastors. And uh, we would love to welcome you. And we do have our um, baptisms that are coming up, but they'll be after the sermon. Um, so those of you with the little ones, feel free to use the baby room, go back and forth. It's, and uh, this is kind of like the timeshare presentation. You know, you, some of you came just for the baptism, but you got to wait. And uh, hopefully you'll, I'll make the sale on this, right? And uh, this will be worth your time. But um, we're so excited to have you all. Uh, on this special day. You know, someone once said that there were four stages of life in relation to Santa Claus, right? And the first stage is you believe in Santa Claus, and Santa Claus is very important. Second stage, all of a sudden, you stop believing in Santa Claus, right? Third reason is, third stage in life is you realize you've become Santa Claus, right? And uh, you, you take some of those responsibilities. And the fourth stage is you start looking like Santa Claus, right? And um, all of us are in one of those stages, right? And um, it's, um, the Christmas story is a story that is relevant regardless of what stage of life we're in, what we are going through. It makes us examine our own lives, makes us think about how I should be living, what is important, who is Jesus. There's a story of a Hungarian soldier by the name of uh, Andres Temas. He was uh, captured by the enemy, the Russian soldiers. Um, and uh, he was taken into prison. And he, um, when they arrested him, and they couldn't understand what he was saying. No one understood his language. So they got the Hungarian translator. He couldn't understand what he was saying. And they got the other uh, people around to try to translate. No one could understand what this man was saying. And so they came to the conclusion that he was crazy, that he was speaking gibberish. It was nothing. And so they didn't put him in the regular prison, but they sent them off 300 miles east of Moscow to uh, uh, a special place there. And uh, he was locked up, and the guards would come, and they would give him his food each day, his rations, and he would take it. And then he would um, try to talk to them, and they would just ignore him. And they assumed that he was crazy and speaking gibberish. Well, after the years had gone by, actually decades, 55 years to be exact, he, uh, the Russians decided now to let um, uh, some of these prisoners go. And they called in a Hungarian uh, doctor to now examine him. And the doctor examines him. And he shocks, the, to the shock of the captors, he tells them he's not crazy at all. He actually is speaking a particular dialect in Hungary that only a few people speak. And so this man, Temas, now after 55 years, he is released from prison. And the first thing that he requests is a mirror. He said, I I haven't looked at myself in 55 years. He was imprisoned in his early 20s. Now he's in his 70s. And he gets the mirror and he looks at himself and he weeps. He has turned into someone he could not recognize. He hadn't seen his own face. And he cries as he looks at this mirror of who he'd become. And, you know, um, I share this story because I think the Christmas story makes us look in the mirror and examine our own selves. How am I going to respond to this story? This is a story all of us know, whether we go to church, 
whether we're Christians or not. We know the story. We know what um, is believed. But what is our response? And today we see here uh, three different people having three different responses. And I want to highlight some of that for us here today. You know, first we see that the um, uh, Herod's response is a negative response. You see the, later the religious folks, they have a neutral response. And then the Magi, they have a positive response. And obviously we want you to have a positive response to the birth of Christ. Uh, it's interesting because Herod's response is described this way in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled. Why was he troubled when a baby is born? Uh, how many of us react and how many of us actually get troubled because a child is born? We might just say, I, I'm just neutral to it. Or we might be happy about it, but why be troubled? And why did all of a sudden all of Jerusalem become troubled over this? Well, it's something about Herod to know he was placed by Caesar as the king of the Jews. So you can imagine already how alarming it is when the people from another land are coming and they're saying, we're come here to now worship the king of the Jews. And he is troubled for that, but not only that, a few things about Herod. He was very uh, ostentatious. He liked to build big temples and palaces and he would put his name on it. Um, there's record of him that he had uh, dug up uh, a cistern deep enough and big enough that he would collect water uh, enough for a thousand people to drink for 10 years. He learned how to pack and preserve food. And so he started hoarding all this food. And archaeologists in the 1940s end up uh, discovering all of this that was now hoarded in this way. Not only that, he was very paranoid. He was always afraid someone is after his position and power. To the point that at one point he thought his own wife was now conspiring against him. He has her killed. He has her mother killed. He has her brother killed. Years later, he has three of his own sons killed because he thinks they are conspiring to take his throne, his position. So he's paranoid. Not only that, he is very selfish. Uh, he would take from the average person, now some of you, if we, we start talking about taxes and this, you're already like, oh, I already pay so much. He would take half of the average person's income. So 50% already, Herod would confiscate. And then another 12.5, he would have to confiscate, and it would be sent over to Caesar. And then uh, the tax collector would take something else. So you can imagine a fisherman after a long day's work, and he's coming on to shore, and the last person he wants to see is a tax collector. Someone like a Zacchaeus, someone like Levi or, or Matthew here. And they would wait for him. They said, okay, how much did we catch? Let's weigh it. All right, well, we got to take half. Let's go to Herod. Um, you got to render to Caesar. What is Caesar? Let's, let's take 12.5%. And then the tax collector on top of that would say, well, I need some too. And he would take a little extra. So the average person, they say, was taxed about 75% of their income. Some of you are already upset just hearing that, right? Like, oh my gosh. And so now you know why Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem was troubled as well. They're thinking he's going to do something irrational. He's going to go and kill somebody. He's going to go and tax us even more. He's going to do something. You know, later on in Matthew 2, he goes and kills every two-year-old and younger boy in Bethlehem. He is paranoid. He is this type of leader. So his response to the birth of Christ is negative. 
What is it about Christ? What is it about the birth of this child? What is it about him that now evokes this negative response? You ever talk to someone who's an angry atheist? Right? It, really, I, I, I don't understand that part. If, if I believe this crate here is alive and you don't think so, you think I'm crazy, well, so be it. Why the emotional response to that? Why is there such a response? Why is there persecution in the world? You know, on December 9th this month, a church in China, the early rain church, it was all over social media. Uh, the police barged in and arrested a hundred of the church people there. Arrested them. Why, why the threat? And, you know, it happens not just globally, uh, um, but it also happens just personally, individually. Some people say, oh, you know, I don't want to believe this. I don't believe this. And they get angry about the message of the gospel. What are they angry about? Why would you be so angry if you don't believe this? But here, Herod um, evokes this negative response. I um, mean, he is troubled in this way. Not only that, now he calls the two groups of people, the Bible tells us here, chief priests and scribes. They sound pretty intense, right? The chief priests were made up of a lot of the Sadducees. They, they were in charge of you know, maintaining the law. The scribes were literally the, maybe kind of like the lawyers of the day. They interpreted the law. They were made up of a lot of the Pharisees. And if you've been to church, you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along. They had different beliefs. They looked down on the other party. And so he called two opposing parties together, and he asks them, where is this child supposed to be born? Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they both go to Micah chapter 5, and they quote, oh, it's Bethlehem. The ruler of the world is going to come from Bethlehem. He calls both of them. And in verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the ruler of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So something about Bethlehem. Now, if they are studying this, and the wise men come say, boy, there is supposed to be, we're following the star, there's supposed to be the new king of the Jews. Shouldn't they run to Bethlehem? Shouldn't have they been the first ones there? But they do nothing. They're neutral. Um, what is that? Christ is the one person you cannot encounter and walk away doing nothing. Right? Doing nothing meant that they opposed him in this way. You know, there's a story of a man. Uh, he sees this other man. He's fishing. And he watches him fish. And the fisherman is doing something peculiar. He all of a sudden catches a big fish. And he takes the big fish and then he lets that fish go. And then he, the second one he catches, he catches a small fish, and then he puts it in his bucket. So the guy watching, oh, that's odd. And you know, what's he doing? So he's watching him again, and he all of a sudden catches a really big fish. Then he lets it go. And then all of a sudden he gets a small fish, and he puts it in his bucket. So by this time, he, he's, I gotta go find him. So he asks the guy, he says, hey, excuse me, um, why you let the big fish go? You keep, you keep these little fish. And the guy says, well, my frying pan is only eight inches big, right? <laughs> um, you know, sometimes our, our, we have our own set of beliefs in, or our own set of, you know, whatever we want to live by. It's this big. And we become our own God. We become our own lawmaker. And we say, I'm going to live like this. 
And if this doesn't fit in here, then uh, I'm going to just reject it. And if this doesn't fit in here, I'm going to reject this. You know, my grandfather lived like this, and he used an eight-inch pan, whatever it is, and boy, I'm going to just live by this. And really, these quote-unquote experts of the law, they had their religious beliefs, and the, when the one that was full of grace and truth appears, they say, yeah, we don't want that. All of a sudden, that ruins our pecking order. I, I was more righteous than these people. We can't have that. You know, I felt good about now doing the things that I, I can't have that. This ruins everything. And so they just continue in their old ways. Obviously, the wise men, they respond in the positive way. They see him and they respond kind of, it's interesting, the wise men, just a little background. They're also known as the magi. Over the centuries, people have tried to find out who they are. So some have said, oh, they're the three kings. You know, the psalmist talks about kings of the nations will worship before uh, God. And so, oh, they're the three kings. Maybe they're three kings because they have three gifts. And so we have uh, even the Christmas song, the three kings of Orient, you know, that they come. And um, it doesn't say that they're three. It doesn't say that they're kings. Um, but they come. And there are a group of these wise men. And the, the term magi is also mentioned in the book of Daniel. Daniel is, is taken in a time of history where, if you remember, uh, the Jews are taken in captivity into Babylon. So the Babylonians came and they captured all the young, intelligent people and they take them over to indoctrinate them. And then we see the rebellion there of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and Daniel, you know, who insisted on not eating what they told them and so on. I think what had happened is, so, so Babylon eventually gets conquered over by Persia, but I think those people, people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I think these people who feared God, their influence maintained, and it stayed. And uh, the Old Testament was there. And so the Magi now, from Persia, uh, many years later, they are learning this, and they learn about the star. They learn about Bethlehem. They learn about the Messiah that is to come, and God speaks to them, and they go. And so you see a picture here of God orchestrating all of history, uh, his sovereignty over all these things, putting together the birth of Christ. And they come. And it, when they saw Christ, these things happened. They were filled with great joy. It says in verse 10 this, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That little phrase there, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The English tries to get this across. Leon Morris in his commentary says, you know, basically that means that they were, quote unquote, deliriously happy. They were so happy. They were so excited about the birth of this child. And then they worshipped him. Uh, verse 11 says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him. They literally changed their posture. They knelt down before a baby. A grown man would not do this. I think in any culture, it would not now worship a baby. But not only that, they worship, it says, and uh, Mike Wilkins in his commentary talks about that word worship. It's normally reserved for the veneration of deity. It's not anything else other than them worshiping. It's something you give to the gods. And they open their treasures. Gold, the most precious. 
uh, frankincense is a type of something that would be used for incense and oil and and myrrh was like a bombing it was uh, soothing I mean this is kind of like your you know nowadays people talk about essential oils like this was the first essential oil of the day right and um, boy it must have smelt so good in there right and they brought all these gifts and so we see this complete contrast Herod is afraid I'm gonna lose it all Christ meant that he's going to become Lord of everything. I have to give this up. I don't want to give this up. And some of us today, we say, well, I'm in this relationship. Christ wants me to be equal. I don't want to give it up. I'll just stop going to church. I'll deny Christ over this. Or this is my way of living. And if he says, I can't live this way. But the wise men, they're not afraid of giving up. They're saying, we're here to give to you. You know, this Christmas, as you exchange gifts, especially with your very special loved ones. Who gets the joy? The one who receives? Or the one who watches them enjoy it? No, the one who bought it. We cannot give them enough, right? What is most parents today in our church, what is our struggle? How, I just don't want to spoil my kid. I can't give them too much. Right? And some of the kids here are like, no, you could do that. It's okay, right? Pastor Steve, tell them it's okay, all right? But you say, I don't want to spoil them. So we hold back. But if it's up to us, you say, well, wait, everything's ours. Everything's yours. You can have it. The joy comes in the giving when someone is of value. And the wise men saw someone of value. And they give everything and they bow. And they're filled with great joy. And then they walk away obeying God. The angel says to them, uh, they're warned in a dream. Verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They disobey Herod. Herod would have been a great ally to have. Herod would have been a great friend to have. He would have been a terrible enemy to have. But they go about another way. And they respond, understanding the value of this baby Jesus Christ. You know, Ravi Zacharias tells a story about a young woman in her 20s in Canada. Um, every week in the Sunday paper, she would put um, a classified ad out looking for her dad. She wanted to find her dad. And she would put her name, and she would put her mom's name, how old she was, where she was born, and she said, I'm looking for you. You know, if you read this, I'd love to meet you. And it was every week. She was putting this out every week. Eventually, the newspapers, they get a hold of this, and they want to meet and hear the story. Why is she putting this out every week? And they interview this young lady who was 23 at the time. They ask her, well, why are you trying to meet your dad? And she said, well, I've never met him. You know, he left when I was a baby, and I want to meet him. And they say, well, what are you going through? And these were her words. And she said that her life felt incomplete. She wanted to meet him. It felt incomplete. You know, we have a void in our lives as well. And it feels, C.S. Lewis talks about if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, we must have been created for another world. I'm complete because of him. And I go to him. And the Magi go and they say, I find my sense of completion here. It's interesting in um, Luke's gospel when they present him, uh, Simeon 
he's at the temple and he's been given signs by God. And he says, now, he says, God told him, you're not going to die until you meet this child. And he says, now I can die. I've met him. Now that I've held him in my arms, I can go. And this is what we see here. And I want to ask you today as you look at this very familiar story, what is your response? Um, how will you live? Is it neutral? I walk away and that's it. Is it negative because, man, it's, um, it's demanding things from me. God wants things from me. Or is it positive? God is everything to me. If he made me and he loves me, he is everything to me. And I pray that that would be your response. Let's bow our heads together, could we? Um, I just want to give us an opportunity here, as some of us have, has, uh, have gathered like this. And maybe you have never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe your response was, like the religious leaders, just kind of indifferent. Or maybe it was um, even negative. You know, religion and God and these people and, and the things that, uh, the laws that they put on me was something negative. But what was, but maybe today your response would be something positive. And maybe the search that you've been looking for is found here. The birth of this child. And so I'm going to just give you a moment to pray in the quiet of this room. And if you'd like to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask that you just bow your head and uh, just, just say a prayer. Say, God, I want, to, I want to follow you. I want to make this one different. I want to respond in this way. And so let me just give you a moment to do that. Could I? Let's pray together.